Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. It never ever dies. <laughs> it's the final girl of months. Yes. And <laughs> okay. I got there. It took me a second. I know. I was like, and um, and tonight, this is episode. Oh wait, who am I? <laughs> I'm Mr. Krager. This isn't even a and I booze. am one of the hosts of Splatter Chatter, <clears throat> the podcast where October never dies. And there's another host of Splatter Chatter, the podcast where October never dies. And that host is... Me, Miss Melmore. Correct. And yes. we're here with you tonight for episode 49, which is going to be a discussion of all things, primarily musical things, Sweeney Todd. Because, because Miss Mel and I um, had the uh, excellent privilege of seeing the current off-Broadway production of Sweeney Todd uh, in New York. Uh, just about a month ago. Just about a month ago. Um, and it was wonderful and bloody and terrifying. And so we thought, hey, why not dive into old Sweeney for an episode. But before we head back to uh, Victorian London, mid-1800s London, uh, we're going to do some horror headlines Mm -hmm. and uh, talk a little bit about our uh, our weekend where Miss Mel and I got to hang out together and uh, go to New York and then also lay around Miss Mel's apartment and watch (laughs) Some horror movies. We did. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but let's start with some horror headlines. Um, Ms. Mel, did you want to did you want to go first with headlines? Um, the only real thing that I had was there was some stuff released at Comic-Con um, yeah, way back sure. in the day. <laughs> uh, by now. <laughs> um, you got the new poster for The Nun. You got the... Um, new bits of Halloween stuff. They released the rating. Obviously, it was going to be R. Um, and some other goodies like that. Nothing too shocking or spectacular. I do think the Nun poster looks, like, really, really good. I agree. I'm actually pretty think... excited for this movie. Yeah. I think We may have even tweeted about it. Yeah. Or maybe you tweeted about it. Yeah. But it was... their marketing is... I was on top of it. <laughs> is, uh, yeah. <laughs> is really, really solid for the nun. Yeah. Um, I actually saw on the horror subreddit a Vera Farmiga appreciation post. Um, did I create that? Because... <laughs> but I was, like, thinking to myself, I was, like, I feel like she doesn't... She's not the one who needs the... Appre- like, she... We appreciate as a default. Yeah. Like, I think you're thinking, okay, I need to create a space where Tahisa Farmiga gets her... Her do. Her do. I don't know. Maybe she will on this. I don't know. To which I say, do you, though? Do you, though? I think it's interesting. I wonder if there's meant to be something there, the fact that they cast her as the nun in a franchise where her sister is, you know, a main character. Interesting. Like, I always have been thinking about that for a while, about... Like, if they're going to establish a connection between... Yeah. Lorraine Warren and the nun. And the nun, 
Yeah, because I feel like that you can't like that you can't cast both of them in the same film franchise like this, where you had Lorraine Warren like having this weird connection to the nun in Conjuring yeah. Two, and then not address the fact that okay, you cast essentially a younger version of Vera Farmiga. Interesting in this role. Just yeah, I want and they're all and they're all about the connections, right? Yeah, and sort of giving those like tiny we get a little bit more of the piece of the puzzle with each uh, film in the Conjuring universe. So yeah, maybe this is kind of like, they're sort of completing this whole like war and nun circle, right? Yeah. Maybe they'll, they'll add like a, something extra in there for us. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was my thought mainly with it. Cause I mean, it's like, yeah, obviously I knew Tisa Fermigo was playing her before Comic-Con, but Comic-Con just got me thinking after seeing the trailer and some of the posters and stuff and just thinking, I wonder if that's, yeah. There's something there about that. Could be. Definitely could be. Yeah. I do remember the little nun cameo in uh, Annabelle Creation that was very, very yeah. well so we'll see Which was that. better than Annabelle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I give credit to that little, the little girl. She yeah. was also in Ouija Origin of Evil, yeah. which is better than Ouija. I was like, you're, great, I was like you're this weird, like, go-to paranormal sequel girl, and you elevate the You're elevating part. the franchise. Yeah. Good for you at the age of Good what I assume you. is 11 to 14. Yeah, you're somewhere in that range, but you're knocking it out of the park. Good for you, random girl. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff, of course, coming out of Comic-Con um, in horror and uh, otherwise, um, I'm sure everybody has heard by now, they have announced that Jessica Lange is returning to American Horror Story mm. for season eight, which is Apocalypse. Um, if you haven't heard, it's going to be a murder house and a coven crossover. Which isn't the entire friggin' thing a crossover. Like, I just, I don't... Right, there was, remember that a couple years ago where there was that whole big uproar when Ryan Murphy confirmed that all the seasons take in place the same in the universe. universe? Yeah. And so it was like, oh, it's connected. We were right. And so, I don't, yeah, I don't know why everyone's freaking out about the apocalypse season. And why is it specifically just those two seasons that are now? Like, I don't... Like, I, like does crossover, does he, does he mean, like, oh, it's going to be, like, a direct, like, afterword of, of Murder House because you had that demon baby? And I assume, based on their marketing, that it, it is going to be the story of the demon baby. Yeah. Is it the new Supreme? Oh, God. Maybe the, maybe the witches, the Supreme will have to try and stop the demon baby? I don't know. I have no idea. But then it's like, Jessica Lange was the main character in both of those seasons. Yeah. So who is she playing? Both which, of them? Which one is she? I don't remember. Did her character in Coven die? I can't remember. She did. Oh, okay. Because that's how um, What's-Her-Face became the next Supreme. Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson. And didn't Constance die? No, we see Constance, she's in the very end because she's raising the demon. Oh, baby. that's right. So I feel like that's what she's going to be playing. And yeah. maybe some characters from Coven are going to carry over. Mm. I don't I, I hope don't there's know. like some cheeky remark about like if they, if any of the witches see Constance about how she looks just like whatever, whatever the, her is. character was yeah. from, from three. Uh, Sarah Paulson's mom. Sarah Paulson's mom. Yeah. Um, so that's going on. Of course, um, reviews are also starting to come in for summer of 84. Ooh. Uh, 
Yeah, which get excited about and look into if you guys haven't already. I think we mentioned it a couple episodes back about something that we're both looking forward to and a lot of the horror community is looking forward to. Yeah. Um, So that should be a good time. Um, And if you're not watching Castle Rock... (laughs) You should be. Get on that. It is so good. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know we're in this age of like peak television. It's like the third golden age or whatever, but I don't know. Castle Rock is really, really solid. Yeah, no, it is. And it's like, it's so much better than the gimmick to get you there. Right. Cause like the, the hook is like, Oh, it's like various Stephen King universes. Well, it's, it's various Stephen King stories, like, all converge on this place, Castle Rock, which is a fictional town right. that, you know, like, Cujo happens in, and um, the body, and the dead zone, the dead zone. body, needful things. Um, so, yeah, so it's, like, it's got connections with all, it's Shawshank, Redemption, um, right. you know, and all this stuff, so it's, like, okay, like, that's the hook, that's great, but it's, like, so much more than that, because every character is original at this point. Yes, except for um, Alan Pangborn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's great. It's like we were drawn in by the hook and then they were like, oh, okay, now that we've got your attention, here's this completely <laughs> new insane story. And it's awesome and it's creepy and it's fun. Um, and even if you're not a, a huge um, Stephen King person, um, the show completely stands on its own. Like, it's it's fun to catch the Easter eggs. Yeah, like the body um, those kids found. They mentioned, you know, the, the body the kids found by the train tracks and stuff. Yeah, and... Oh, um, uh, what's her face? Um, There's a Torrance. can't think of her. There's a Torrance, yeah. The, uh, the psychic mentions that she lives in a house that a serial strangler used to live in, which is a reference to the dead zone, and all those little... It's great. Um, but it, that, that's all just an added bonus thing. That's not like the point of the show. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, look at us winking to all of these Stephen King stories. Aren't we a great show? It's like, no, we're, we're just a great show and we're, we happen to be winking at some Stephen King stories. Yeah. So check it out. It's a Hulu original. Um, they have new <clears throat> episodes every Wednesday. They do. Yeah, no. And Bill Skarsgård plays such uh, a great character at this point i'd say he's almost like rivaling 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 um like what was it did i ever did was that ever a word before i said it just now um uh it's a very different type of creepy than pennywise but he is very unsettling um and i will say if anyone out there has any thoughts i have like I don't want to say because it's a spoiler for stuff, but I feel like I could see a connection between this and The Outsider. But I'm, I might be reading something wrong, so if people have thoughts about that, mm. I will tell it. Slide into my DMs. Slide into the audience. Now, I haven't read The Outsider yet. Yeah. I, I have it. I was going to dive right into it, and then I got very sidetracked because I saw some stuff about people saying, well, there's like connections yes. to the, so I looked the up, Hodges trilogy. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I held off. But does The Outsider take place in Castle Rock? It does not take place in Castle Rock. 
Okay. It takes is place Castle in Rock several. Mentioned? No, it takes place in oh. several places. Um, there's a very like plot specific spoilery reason why I like uh, I just okay. got the vibe that there was a connection, so I can't tell you without like spoiling like basically you know like not necessarily a reveal it's just like it's deeper it's yeah, something yeah. that happens deeper in the book it's not a huge plot thing but it like to explain it i'd have to like basically give away a bunch of stuff so gotcha. um but yes i realized after i read castle rock and i not castle rock after i read uh the outsider people were explaining the connections between that and mr mercedes and i was like oh that's why i had no idea who this chick was and who that guy was but the story okay. seemed to know who they were. <laughs> and you were just like, well. Yeah, I was like, clearly there's some backstory here I'm not getting. <laughs> and then it, and then I figured it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been, as with many things, I've been meeting, meaning to get around to the Mr. Mercedes trilogy for a while now. And um, I'll, I'll try my darndest soon. That is all, the Mr. Mercedes trilogy, Mr. Mercedes is also a TV show now. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently it's, it's very good. Um, so everybody, we're kind of in this new, like golden King age, golden King age. Yeah. There's a big wave of, um, everybody's clamoring for his stuff. It's, it's been going on for, I'd say maybe, maybe almost three years now and still seems to be going strong. Um, we've got a pet cemetery remake on the horizon. Um, they're still in talks about a Dark Tower TV show. Uh-huh. So um, we shall see. But definitely check out Castle Rock. Good stuff. Obviously, Bill Skarsgård is killing it. Um, and also, the return of the great Sissy Spacek to the king. Yes. Uh, uh, 40 years after she played Carrie. Yeah, she's uh, she's playing a very different character. <laughs> a very different character. But if it turns out it's related to Carrie in some way, I'm going to... Oh, could you don't launch myself into space <laughs> yep yep and never return yeah You're like i'm sorry i can't handle that yeah no that was so really good stuff um well i think we're about ready to head into the main portion of the episode attend the think? tale of sweeney todd aha let's attend the tale of sweeney todd yes now a little bit of backstory for you guys um last month um the weekend of july 13th 13th, 13th, 13th something like that something 14th. around there yeah whatever the closest weekend is to what we just said yes <laughs> um i headed out from uh dc and i drove up to philly and i met up with miss mel mm-hmm. and um we hung out for a little bit and then the next day we went up to new york because we wanted to or we had planned we were going to go to a performance of anastasia um, and we timed it as closely as we could get to um, the 100th anniversary of the death of the last Romanovs, which, of course, included Anastasia. Um, and so We're not we... debating that. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, nope. Don't come at us with that. Do not come at us with that. And so we checked that out on Broadway and um, we were just doing just sort of like a 24 hour thing up in New York. But we were like, well, we, we do have time for a second show. Let's catch a matinee. And we ended up deciding to catch Sweeney Todd, which is currently the Barrow Theater. For the next two weeks? Yeah. It's still, the, it's still the mid-end-ish of August. They extended it from its Just original run, yeah, which was supposed yeah. to be in July, I think. And then they gave it another right. month or so. Because um, 
It's been selling very yeah, well. It was sold out. Our, our showing was sold out. Yeah, our performance was showed out. Yes, to the to production of Sweeney Todd at the Barrow Theater, which is in the village. It's off-Broadway. And um, so we said, yeah, why not? And this production was very um, immersive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a – we believe the Barrow Street Theater is normally a black box theater. Yes, this is what I was told. Yeah, and it's been, it was, it's been completely uh, refitted to resemble – um, a 19th century London pie shop. It literally looks like you're walking into like a store. Like uh-huh. you, have, you would have no idea it's a theater whatsoever. Absolutely. And um, there were benches and specifically tables uh, that that were the seats. There were some. There were some like traditional um, seating in a, in a in a balcony, but it was mostly uh, seating at the tables or in benches. And your ticket. Um, if you so chose, um, for not that much extra, came with uh, meat pies or veggie pies. Depending on your, your persuasion. Your choice. <laughs> and so, of course, Miss Mel and I went in for the pies yeah. and the drinks. And yeah. we were sitting at... Yeah, we didn't know we got a free drink with our pies. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And we were sitting at one of the center tables, which... Um, I'm going to give a shout out to the Broadway subreddit um, nice. in one of the, the best seats apparently in the house. And they were, they were really, yeah, good, they seats. really good seats. And so the performance happened around us and it happened on and our table on top of us. and on top of us and in front of our table. And we were right there in the story and in the show. And it was really, really great. So we'll talk a little bit more about that specific production later but i think now right let's go back in time yes i think we'll go back in time just a little bit and talk about sweeney todd who is he what is he why does he relate to horror what's the deal yes yes indeed yes you so- have read the penny dreadfuls so or at least are more familiar with them than I am. So I'm going to let you take the the big backstory of Sweeney here. Yeah. So the big question around Sweeney Todd has always been, was he a real person? Or is he just this sort of conjured boogeyman from way back yonder? Um, he's first sort of documented in print in um, newspaper serials and penny dreadfuls in the mid-1800s. And now the character is best known um, based off of his uh, incarnation interpretation from the Stephen Sondheim musical, which was turned into a Tim Burton film starring Johnny Depp 11 years ago at this point. Oh, wow. I know. (laughs) Insane. So there's been a long-standing debate between scholars and historians about this figure that we call the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Now, historically, um, Sweeney Todd first appeared in a series of Penny Dreadfuls in a story called The String of Pearls. And that serial was published um, over 18 episodes in 1946 and 1947 
in a magazine called The People's Periodical and Family Library. And I'm like, the, your use of the word family makes me... <laughs> question. Makes, makes me question why this was included. Do a little bit in a, of a double take. In a family periodical. And I say to myself, self, would I have done that? Anywho. Um, there were multiple authors of this first set of stories. Um... And it became extremely popular to the point where in 1947, uh, a stage production was produced in London at the Britannia Theatre. And it was an adaptation of the Penny Dreadfuls. And uh, this is where we sort of got a lot of um, the classic characteristics of Sweeney Todd that still persist to this day, including the line, I'll polish him off. Um, which even comes up in Sondheim's musical at least once, possibly twice. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. So in this original periodical, we have our razor-wielding barber, Sweeney Todd, who turns his victims into meat pies with the help of his partner in crime, Mrs. Lovett. Mrs. Nellie Lovett, who owns a pie shop that is connected to Sweeney's barbershop by an underground tunnel. And so it was Sweeney committing the murders and Mrs. Lovett disposing of the evidence while boosting her business. It was her idea. It was her idea. An entrepreneur, that one. Yeah. Do you got it? Good, you got it? Good, you got it? (laughs) So this is the story that first captures the London imagination. It's immediately followed by a second set of serials running between 1947 and 1948. This time there are 92 chapters, or what they call episodes. So much murder. So much murder for Sweeney. Um, And these ones, for whatever reason, seem to be ones that are a bit easier to find if you do want to go looking for the original Penny Dreadfuls. Um, And the, the couple that I read, I think, were from this second uh, set of serials. Now, in 1950, um, most of these episodes and a couple of original ones were collected into a book, um, or what we would traditionally think of as a novel, but was not what Victorians would have. I don't think they had the concept of a novel. Yeah, they didn't didn't quite think of it that way at the time. Um, And this book... This Sweeney Todd book ran at around 732 pages. Holy shit. Holy shit indeed. (laughs) (laughs) And of course it's full of bloody killings and ghoulish villains and macabre pie recipes. And it's everything that the repressed Victorians wanted, right? Between this and the vampire shit in those times, like, they just... (laughs) We need to go back and do, like, some kind of psychological profile on these people. Because clearly, like... Yeah. The corsets, the vampires, the Sweeney Todd, the various other Penny Dreadfuls. There's a lot going on. Yeah. All because no one was allowed to touch themselves. Yeah. So, huge success in London... Then the Americans, as all great Americans do, steal from the Europeans (laughs) 
And the Sweeney Todd story is plagiarized in the U.S. several years later. And it is in this uh, publication of the stories and of the tales where we get our first claim of historical accuracy, right? Our first claim that Sweeney Todd was a real person who existed sometime around 1800. Um, And so the man or myth debate begins. There's no clear answer. Um, On one hand, there are no public records that substantiate the existence of any London barber named Todd in the late 18th century. Um, But that's when the stories were being written and published. The claim is that this man existed around um, the early 1800s. And... Uh, records of barbers and shopkeeps are a little less um, full, I think, for that time period. I don't think it was considered as necessary to keep a record of those sorts of things. Um, Well, wasn't the first time they actually kept records or realized they needed to keep records of people was um, Jack the Ripper. After, during the investigation, they realized, we should probably know who everybody is. (laughs) <laughs> and what they do and where they do it. Yeah. Yeah, which is a great point. And, of course, the Jack the Ripper murders occurred in the 1880s. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It was late. Yeah, because it was late enough that people make the claim that H.H. H. Holmes was possibly right. Jack the Ripper. It was possibly Jack the Ripper. Not only America's first serial killer, but um, England's as well. Yeah. And, oh, God, if we could... Well, I'm sure one day we will do an episode about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, but of course, there's, um, there was enough uh, bits and pieces of real life horror floating around at that time that were being reported in a section of the London Times that was known as the Old Bailey um, and other newspapers as well. And the public had a huge appetite for all things gruesome and wicked and nefarious. And so anytime something like that came up, news tended to travel very fast and tended to travel just by word of mouth. So there are stories and almost urban legends that bear um, similarity to the the written tales of Sweeney Todd. Um, But of course, as with most hearsay and sort of playing telephone i'm sure there's been some embellishment Mm -hmm. about on those stories and what is true fact um and adding to that confusion most penny dreadfuls were fictionalized accounts of real crimes (laughs) so um like uh thomas prest who was one of the authors of the original sweeney todd uh penny dreadfuls um It was known uh, from his journals that he would hunt through the newspapers to get ideas for his stories. Interesting. So um, there's a lot going on there. There's also, of course, the uh, tying in of the legend surrounding dubious pie selling. (laughs) This, yes, the the cats. Yes, for whatever reason, an urban legend of sorts sprung up um, in London around the 1820s and the 1830s about cats being 
turned into pies um, to the point where this is even mentioned uh, in several Charles Dickens novels. Um, it comes up in the Pickwick Papers, which was published in 1836, and again in Martin Chuzzlewit, uh, 1844, as a as a country legend, sort of, that um, that pie shops, in order to cut down on uh, having to buy expensive meat or to um, give themselves a special flavor over the competitors were putting cats into the pies. And so this was sort of floating around, right, around the same time that the Sweeney Todd Penny Dreadfuls were originally being published. So we've got a lot going on here, sort of feeding this legend, and no one's quite sure what to make of it or how to pull out fact from fiction. And at this point, I don't know if we ever will be able to. Um, you yeah. know. Personally, do I like the idea that Sweeney Todd may have been a real person? Of course I do. Yeah. I'm the host of a horror podcast. Yes. <laughs> do I think that he was a real person? No. No. No, it sounds like one of those things that just kind of drums up around. Right. Like, it's like, it takes, you know, it's not that big of a leap to be like, oh, they're putting cats in the pies. What if they were putting people in the pies? And then, you know, the enterprising writer just goes from there um and i'm sure you know there were you know you could maybe argue there were legendary um things to it i don't know like you know you had like the like the vampire being published in the early like lord byron's stuff like you had like i don't know it's just i've noticed around that time period a lot of the literature like kind of basically invents itself as the um, the found footage of literature because you've got mm. Frankenstein, you've got Dracula are written as epistolary works. You've got Phantom of the Opera claiming to be a true story with footnotes and he claims to interview people to write the book. You've got Carmilla, which is written as a diary. So it's like kind of a thing at that time too where they liked scaring themselves by thinking that it was real or convinced like, Oh, you know, and it's, it sounds a little bit almost like a it's, higher form of folklore. Right. Like when you're out right. camping and you're like, Oh yeah. On a night, just like this, the hash slinging slasher. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's almost like, like the 1800s version of found footage. Yeah. Yeah. This is where found footage. Like if you look up the history of found footage, it will tell you it originates in these stories that claim to be, true stories or just were written in such a way that they were the result of compiled documentation of something that had happened previously, whether it's letters or journal entries or what have you. Mm. Like it always goes back. In fact, like Frankenstein is one of the ones they go back to most to say, this is kind of like the beginning of found footage horror because yeah. the entire thing is, um, it's, it's, there's a story within a story with it. So it's, Frankenstein is a guy writing in his journal about a story Dr. Frankenstein is telling I'm, him. Yes, told him, right. <laughs> so that one's like a little bit white, way down the funnel, but. Some inception. Yeah. But I think that was just like, that was the motif at the time was to say, yeah, like I heard. You know, because you can't freaking you get. There's no checking receipts. Nobody can fact check that shit back in the. There's Victorian. no Snopes. 
Yeah, like there's no way to to, to fact check anything in Victorian times for the most part. So it's like, yeah, I could say, yeah, that I heard this guy was killing people and putting them in pies one block over and people would be like, oh yeah, no, I believe that because you said it. And I, and I almost wonder though, like if, like, so we, we debate heavily now, right? Like if it was true, what's the historical basis, if any, but sometimes I almost wonder if at the time, like the Victorians, like the reason we can't find evidence is because like, Maybe they all just knew one way or the other. Yeah. Like, maybe they were like, well, fucking obviously this isn't true. <laughs> or maybe they were like, oh, yeah, no, yeah. I remember so-and-so, like, my grandparents or whatever talked about this. Yeah, that's true. And so, like, we don't we don't need to, like, sit down and debate about if it's true because we just know. Yeah. But we're, we're so far removed, so now we're like, was it? Was it? Is we have forensic it? things now. We should figure this out. We should be able to figure it out. Yeah. But of course, it's a bit tough, and we just have to go on off of, rather, uh, the little things that we do have, including an entry um, in the December 1784 Annual Register uh, of London, uh, a report of a barber near Fleet Street who, in a jealous rage, cut uh, his victim's throat from ear to ear before fleeing into the night. Jesus. Yes. Um, there's an actual newspaper article uh, from that entry in the annual register that you can find online. Um, we can even tweet that out there um, if you guys want to take uh, a look. Um, a couple other historians have suggested that the Sweeney Todd story is inspired by uh, the real-life uh, notorious um, crimes of the Sawney Bean family. Hmm. Um, and they're actually the family, they were a Scottish family that um, turned cannibal. Same. Um, same. They're, um, they're the family that the Hills Have Eyes was based off of. Interesting. They, tur- they, they moved them out of Scotland. <laughs> they still did. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah. And, and so that, of course, uh, when Sawney Bean came to light, which was in the late 1700s, I believe, um, that was huge in the public uh, eye and fascination, of course, because of the gruesome nature. Um, they were they were living in caves and, you know, abducting passersby and travelers and and eating them, um, and, which, know, of course, ties into the pot. So there's a lot going on there. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so that's um, sort of a bit about uh, about that. The origins of Sweeney Todd. Um, now, of course, um, Sweeney didn't stay on the page. Uh, he eventually um, moved himself onto the screen. Nice. Well, of course, when that was possible. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't right away. We had to give it like a 75-year. Right, right. Um, but uh, Sweeney Todd was sort of um, like an under... Uh, one of those like 
underrated of the um, the universal classic monsters, right? Like, think about the 1930s where you get um, our first adaptations of Dracula with Bela Lugosi mm-hmm. and Frankenstein with Boris Karloff. And everyone is really into all of these dark, gothic tales, right? Especially tales set in in Europe. Um, you've got the old dark house and the phantom carriage and the mummy and the wolfman. And uh, Sweeney Todd shows up in this this crop of um, gothic films, but he's, he's very under the radar. Um, uh, 1932 is uh, when Sweeney Todd is, is first adapted to film. Um, the remarkable Todd Slaughter plays him and it's a very dark movie and it's a very depraved movie. And I almost have to wonder if that's why it, like if it was almost too much, like it, because it wasn't as polished as Dracula Hmm. or Frankenstein. And maybe that's why it hasn't gotten as much attention as those others did. Um, Because Todd Slaughter was Definitely going to places that even Karloff and Lugosi were afraid to go to. Well, and I guess, too, if you think about it, like Dracula, the allure there is that it's sexy, right? Like it's this well-dressed, upstanding nobleman. He's handsome. He has the ability to, like, enthrall his victims. And, you know, vampirism, vampirism at this point in, you know, retrospectively for us is usually used as like a... um, a metaphor for sex and things like that. And then you've got Sweeney Todd, who's like doing the human thing, right? Like the gross, lower class human thing where you're just. That's a really good point. Slashing throats and they're bleeding out. Like, you know, and he's dumping them down into a fucking cellar where they're getting chopped up. You know, like that's like the very real thing that could happen and has happened in the past versus, you know, the romanticized sexy version of murder. (laughs) Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a really good point. Because two small bites on the neck with maybe one drop of blood is a lot more easier to stomach than, you know, gushing yeah. jugular. That's what I, the word I was looking for. Yeah, than a gushing jugular. Like that's a lot more brutal. That's a lot more real. Even if Dracula scared people, you could, they could still reason with themselves. Well, vampires aren't real. Yeah, but a, but a madman with a razor. Yeah, it's... these people go to the barber, right? Like you know, they. You'll still go that's to the barber. A, that's a really good point. This person take a pair of scissors to your head. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> that's that's really good. Um, so another thing worth noting about them, the 1932 uh, Sweeney Todd film is that um, it's believed to be the first instance of cannibalism on. Well, fictional cannibalism, of course, on film, right? With Mm -hmm. the people and the pies. Although, actual consumption is not shown on screen. So, it's made clear that there are people in the pies. We know that characters are eating the pies, but we we as the viewer don't actually see it. So, it's both really forward thinking for the 30s um, to have cannibalism on screen, but also still really conservative conservative to pull back and not actually show characters eating in story human flesh yeah so very interesting so 
The debate in the Smash the Nation for Sweeney Todd continues, of course, throughout the decades um, among scholars and those who are interested. But he really comes into the public eye with the 1979 um, opening of the Stephen Sondheim Broadway musical Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Nice. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? About the musical? Yeah. The musical. I can, I can, I can do that. <laughs> so, yes. Sondheim, which means... First things first, it's going to be like a musical mess in your ears. Um, <laughs> just because that's like the kind of, you know, like... If, I also have always thought, yes, and I've also always thought the pictures of Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd on the album artwork cover are super cute. The original, the little, yeah, the little versions of them are pretty, pretty adorable, which is horrific. Bobbleheads, kind of. Yeah, they've got like they're like caricatures, and they're like dolls or something. I don't know. The Sweeney one is cuter than the Mrs. Lovett. There's just something really cute about him, like (laughs) just be like "Ah!" in his pose as like what looks like a child. but yeah, so this was, I'm not sure where this falls in Sondheim's um, uh, time period of shit that he did. Uh, um, this was, this was kind of well into his career, I think. No. Like he had, he had already done Pacific Overtures, Little Night Music, Follies, Company, Funny thing happened, Gypsy. Okay. So this is this is we're solidly Sondheim at this point. We're so solid. basically, he based this one off of mostly the 1973 version. Oh, um, the play. That's right. That's yeah, right. Um, is what he made like like basically where he drew like the the Todd's like kind of like mental backstory and um, that sort of thing but basically the original cast starred the original london cast will go first starred um i know sweeney should go first but angela lansbury played mrs lovett (laughs) (laughs) yeah um len carew care i can never say that played sweeney todd uh victor garber played anthony hope yeah think about think about that um, so interesting because the weekend we were there, Victor Garber was in Hello Dolly. Yes. <laughs> Wasn't that a Family Guy joke where Victor Garber was like filling in for somebody? They go to a musical and Stewie's like, "The performance will be the, this performance will be played by Victor Garber." Oh my god! What are the chances? What are the chances? He's like, "Oh, <laughs> oh, yes." Um, so he played Anthony Hope, which like is young Victor Garber. Like yes. Anthony is like you know like the. The Prince Charming of the, uh... although our 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 production had a very interesting interpretation of Antony. <laughs> that was interesting. We're gonna have to talk about that. Yeah. So and then Judge Turpin is Edmund Lindick, and then mm-hmm. Tobias Toby is Ken Jennings. The Beetle is Jack Eric Williams. The Beggar Woman is Mara Louise, and um, Pirelli is Joaquin Ramagiero. Now these characters. So Sweeney Todd, we know. Mrs. Lovett, we know. Antony is kind of this heroic, dashing young man. Um, that So the, the, the musical starts, they're on a boat. And Sweeney's coming back to London for the first time since, like, forever. 
Uh, for the first time in forever. No, different musical. Um, <laughs> very, very, too, too light. <laughs> very different musical. Um, he's coming back for, like, he was banished to Australia. Um, at this point, we don't know why. He's coming back. He's there with his buddy, Anthony, who's, like, a much younger man. He's, like, this dashing young fellow. And, you know, Sweeney is talking about, at this time, we don't, you know, we know he's Sweeney Todd, but he's talking about this story of this man named Benjamin Barker who was a naive, as he describes him, this naive young man who um, just, you know, got, you know, was stupid. And for that, he was punished. And you obviously understand that Benjamin Barker is Sweeney. Um, but basically what happened is this is Benjamin Barker had a wife and a daughter and this smarmy Peter Baelish of a, of a <laughs> gentleman. Um, Peter Baelish was 100% based on Judge Turpin. Oh um, in Sweeney Todd. Um, but Judge Turpin is, as his title suggests, kind of this higher ranking individual. So he's kind of above reproach to, you know, from a barber in Victorian London. So basically he finds some trumped up charge to, to arrest uh, Benjamin Barker on and sends him away to Australia to do, you know, time. And while he's gone, he takes his wife he takes Benjamin Barker's wife prisoner. He, he understood that he raped her probably. Um, and then she vanishes from the, um, the narrative. It's mentioned that she died. And then, um, he, Judge Turpin takes the daughter, Joanna as like his ward. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's gross. It is. Um, so he does this and Joanna, when she becomes an adult, she, like we meet her as an adult, basically a Cosette type character. She's locked yeah. in a tower. She's, she is what she is. Um, but Judge Turpin decides that since he can't really bear the thought of any other man marrying Joanna, he's just going to marry her himself. Like he's the perfect husband for her. Now she calls him father. Like she knows him as like her father. So, you know problem it's it's gross like and, and it's like this big moment where he's like oh like i'll marry you and she like freaks out and screams and runs off stage because yeah that's horrific um so our good friend benjamin barker comes home he, he names himself sweeney sweeney todd meets up with mrs lovett he comes in for like food like he just happens to wander in her shop and she's like oh my god a customer you know because she's, <laughs> she's not used to that sort of thing um and she knew Benjamin Barker when he, he didn't really know her, but she knew him. Mm -hmm. um, she knew that, you know, she basically gives us the same summation of him. Like, oh yeah, like it's sad what happened to him. And then she realizes, oh, Sweeney's Benjamin. Wild. Um, and she gives him his razor back, his his barber's straight razor. Which right. like... She, she hid him when he was arrested. Yes. Yeah. How did nobody back in Victorian London like think that looked scary or dangerous right like it's literally a sharp piece of, there's nothing like i know like all knives are sharp pieces of metal but there seems that i don't know this one feels particularly like malicious but yeah there's something about a straight razor that is particularly sinister yes uh so she gives that back to him and he has his whole soliloquy about how he's like oh my arm is once again complete because he's like really into being a barber um <laughs> And he's like, yeah, I'll start my... He just, he just loves cutting hair. Yeah, so he's going to do his barber thing again. Um, and then comes the the Italian, as Mrs. Lovett calls him, uh, Pirelli, 
who is this rival barber who's like this just complete showman and he's very flamboyant and puts on a show and all this other stuff and like Sweeney challenges him to a a barber competition and Sweeney wins and Pirelli comes later to like extort him basically and blackmail him and say like oh you're gonna give me x amount cut of your your shit because I know who you are and all this other stuff at which point Sweeney's like well I guess I have to murder um kills Pirelli um you know as you well I'm in a pickle. Let me go to my first resort. My first resort is murder. While this is happening, also the shit with Joanna is happening. Antony meets Joanna. He's like, oh my god, I'm enamored with this woman in the window. He he figures out who she is. He realizes that she's a prisoner. He goes to Sweeney Todd. Doesn't know she's her. He's her father. Like they come up with this plan to to friggin free her so jailbreak he, her basically yeah jailbreak her base essentially um so basically they get they they, they so the the pirelli is dead it's a thing judge turpin eventually wanders into the barber shop he's like looking for a shave while he goes to you know like marry his daughter wife very uh woody allen style hashtag woody allen ah yeah, yeah, yeah. look at that we're on it um and sweeney's like oh my god it's my time and Antony busts in and ruins it because um, he mentions, he comes in, he's like, oh my god, Mr. Todd, Joanna. Um, Judge Turpin figures out what's going on, is like, fuck you, and storms out and Sweeney's pissed because he's lost his chance to just, you know, stab the guy who ruined his life. He decides, okay, it's time to just murder everyone. I now must murder everyone because I'm so mad. And Mrs. Lovett's like, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to... I'm not going to say you can't do that. I just want to know what we're going to do with the bodies. At which point she comes up with the idea. Of, it's like the most you do you. Yeah. But. <laughs> he has this amazing, you know, it's epiphany. It's like what the big song, this song is, called, yeah. is epiphany where he's like talking about how he's going to kill everyone. And it's his calling and everyone's terrible and everyone in the world deserves to die and he goes through this whole bombastic song and it's you know there's a pause in mrs love it's just like well that's all well and good but all we can do about the italian (laughs) um at which point she comes up with the plan to grind the bodies up in the meat cellar downstairs um and put them in the pies the worst pies in london um Sweeney's because she yes she's known to have the worst pies in London her business is yeah terrible um Sweeney immediately on board with it um it's funny because like the musical like you know it's like a little back and forth where she doesn't come right out and say that's what they're doing Mm -hmm. um what's it's a little bit of priest is that the name of the a bit of priest yeah a little priest a little priest is like because she's basically like have you tried the priest you know and they have this whole pun game back and forth and she's like do you got it and he kind of like turns and has this revolted looking face and she's like good you got it (laughs) (laughs) and they and they enact this plan basically now while all this is going on there's this beggar chick who's been like running around and being annoying and she's like, oh my god. Like, she, like, knows what they're doing, I guess. Like, you get the impression that she, like, just is kind of this watcher who knows what's going on. And, like, she screams in people's faces and then asks for money and then runs away. She does this every, like, third scene. She'll come in and go away. <laughs> so she's happening over there. We're trying to jailbreak Joanna over here. 
Just Turpin's trying to murder her from over here. Sweeney's murdering. No, he tries to marry her, not murder her. Dear God. Marry Sweeney's her. the one murdering Sweeney's people her. from over there. These are all the. It's a very like complex show. It's very Sondheim. It's very Sondheim. There's a lot going on. Meanwhile, Mrs. Lovett has taken on Tobias Rag, Toby, who is was the um, like little assistant to Pirelli. Pirelli's dead, so now Toby doesn't know that though. Um, so she takes on Toby as like her little buddy, and he's very attached to her. Um, and all this shit's going on, and basically, eventually, what happens is, you know. Judge Turpin, they they come up with a plan to get him to come back because Turpin throws Joanna into Bedlam um, when she's like, I'm not going to marry my dad. And he's like, oh my God, you're insane. Throws her in an asylum. (laughs) And they come up with this plan to have Antony go in to pretend to be a wig guy who wants to cut their hair to make wigs and which point he's going to jailbreak Joanna. He does. He brings her back to Sweeney's shop where she's supposed to hide for a bit until they can get her out of the city and run off to Florence or something. They say they're going to go somewhere specific. Venice or something. Something like that. Um, But little do they know that Sweeney has actually called Judge Turpin as like kind of an anonymous tipster and is like, yo, she's going to be here. You should come here too as a way to lure him in. It works. Stabs the hell out of Judge Turpin as he very famously goes, Benjamin Barker! And just, you know, gets him brutal brutal stuff um all this time joanna who doesn't know this is her father is hiding in the corner pretending to be a boy because she's got like a disguise on um mrs lovett's dealing with toby who's starting to catch on to what's going on and thinks she's in danger and she sends him down into the the boiler room to try and like off him or get him to like off himself or something all this stuff's going on. We find out that the beggar woman is his wife. She was alive the entire time. Um, and all of this culminates with Sweeney accidentally, not accidentally, he kills the beggar woman, finds out she's his wife after he kills her. Can't deal with it. Freaks out. He kills Mrs. Lovett when he realizes that she lied to him about that. Because Mrs. <laughs> Lovett's in love with him. So she uh, just... But I love that though when Mrs. Lovett is like, no, no, not lied at all. No, I didn't lie. Said she took the poison. She did. Never said that she died. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he kills her, um, and basically Toby claws his way out of the cellar, finds the razor, kills Sweeney Todd. Joanna runs off to meet Antony. Everyone else is dead. <laughs> yep. The end. It is so dark. It is. It's um, brutal and so brilliant. <laughs> it's so brilliant. Um, George Hearn played him, or no, who was it? Broad? No, no, that was the Broadway cast and the London. That was the the. Uh, so I guess it was originally a Broadway show. The original London cast was Dennis Quilly, Shelia Hancock, Andrew C. Wadsworth, Mandy, Mandy yeah. Moore. Not Broadway? not the Mandy Moore you're thinking of. It was Broadway and then London. Yeah, yeah. Mandy Moore, not the Mandy Moore you're thinking of. Um, right. Austin Kent, Michael Staniforth, uh, David Walden Williams. Uh, Delise Watling and John Aaron. Famous people who have played Sweeney Todd include um, Michael Severus, Johnny Depp, Michael Ball, George Hearn, Kelsey Grammer. Um, famous Mrs. Lovitz with Beth Flower. Patty Lupone played it a few mm-hmm. times in a few different productions. Yeah, uh, Emma including Thompson. the big uh, Broadway revival in 2005, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
Yeah. She was in that one. She was in a few concerts of it. Emma Thompson played her in 2014 and 2015. Imelda Staunton, I believe. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, played it in 2012. Um, Jamie Campbell Bower played Anthony in the movie. Victor Garber obviously was the original Anthony. Alan Rickman, Judge Turpin in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great Judge Turpin. Philip Quast played him in the 2014-2015 uh, production. Philip Quast also. I know from... He played... He was in Les Mis as Javert, but I I know him from Evita. He's... Yeah, a lot of people will know him from Evita. Um, he was... Uh, well, you said Javert, right? Yeah. Um, he also um, was uh, George in uh, Sunday in the Park nice. with George. Another uh, Sondheim, famous Sondheim musical. A uh, famous Toby player was Neil Patrick Harris, who played him in... <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah. Toby? He played him in 1999, 2000, and 2001. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Audra McDonald played the beggar woman in one of those productions as, oh, as well. Uh... Um, and she played her again in the 2014 and, uh, concert Good. production. So yeah, there's some great names running. Christian Borrell played Pirelli in the, um, the concert production. You know, I could, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That this is out. a lot, these are like, I that the Venn diagram of the people who are into horror and into musicals, like conversions. Yeah. It's, it's me and Mel and hopefully a couple other people that are listening. Um, but like get at us. If any of these names that we've said mean anything to you. Yes. Uh, obviously Shasha Baron Cohen also played him famously in the movie. Pirelli, yes. And uh, John Owen Jones, famous phantom. And John, oh, John. Yeah. Played him in 2015. Did he really? Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot of Broadway royalty running around here. As you can see, the show has been revived or played in concert or played regionally um, or played off Broadway in some fashion or on film basically pretty steadily since 1979. There was a 1980. There were several 1980 productions because there was the original London national tour. There was one in 1989, 1993, 1999, 2000, 2001, 2004, 2005, 2007, 2007 movie, 2012, 2014, 2015, and 
a lot. Um, and she's, she plays it very comically and very almost caricature-ish. And it's great. And she does amazing because she's Angela Lansbury. But Helena Bonham Carter, like, went to the complete other end of the spectrum. And she played it very subdued. But I, th- I think that both work equally well for Mrs. Lovett. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's Sweeney that is a bit more narrow in how yeah. he has to be portrayed in order to communicate his character. Yeah, because, yeah, like, you know, Mrs. Lovett has that kind of emotional range. And she does go through an emotional range. Sweeney Todd just kind of is constantly in either pissed off or really pissed off. <laughs> He's got two moods. Um, but I think, you know, kind of what you were getting at is that since 1979, this production and this story of Sweeney Todd has had a staying power. Yeah. And a really strong one. I mean, this past spring, actually, like, um, my local community theater, the Arlington Players, actually, they put on Sweeney Todd. And I was, like, really close to auditioning. Like, I had picked out a song and everything, but with my work schedule it I don't think I would have been able to make all the rehearsals yeah but the idea of being able to be in it was really appealing mm-hmm. um and so I think it's it's a show that well of course it's Sondheim but it's a show that yeah has staying power um so um We've talked a little bit about um, all the various incarnations of the show. Um, let's talk a little bit about the movie, shall we? Okay. Um, very, well, not, I don't, I don't want to say very different from the stage production, but alterations were definitely made. Alterations were made. Um, songs were cut. Uh, there was some critique of how... Both Johnny Depp, who played Sweeney Todd, and Helena Bonham Carter, who played Mrs. Lovett, chose to portray the roles. I personally thought they both did excellent. Yeah. And the film did end up with some Golden Globe and some Oscar nominations. Nice. And some wins. Um, I think the biggest critique that I've seen for the movie is that it cuts the ballad of Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it doesn't open. It's got this weird opening um, montage where it's the blood running down the the chair into the machine that does the, like, meat grinding and stuff. Which I'm I'm torn because I don't mind that. But I also really like the ballad of Sweeney Todd. Yeah. And how it gets repeated throughout the stage show. Yeah. Um, but overall, a pretty solid movie. As a horror movie versus as a musical movie, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to come at it from just one angle and exclude the other. Um, but there's plenty of blood. There is, um... It's, I mean, I feel like the movie I, I enjoyed, I liked it. I thought, you know, like as yeah, an adaptation like- or an evocation of like, you know, the, the legend of Sweeney Todd, it was good. Um, I can see, you know, where people like looked at Mrs. Lovett and John or Mrs. Lovett and Johnny Depp, Jesus, Helena Bonham <laughs> Carter and Johnny Depp's, um, you know, uh, 
portrayals is kind of like very different because I think Johnny Depp plays Sweeney with a lot more vitality than he normally gets in the stage show. He's usually very stoic and somber. And in this, he was very, you know, he was Johnny Depp. He was very springy. He was still right. really pissed off and angry all the time, but like there was a little bit more energy to it that usually is kind of reserved and that sort of thing. It was very gory, but I think that kind of, you know, like is part of the, the history of it, right? Like this is what it would have seemed like to the Victorians back then. Yeah. Um, so that's like the fun of it. And like at a certain point you're just laughing and like, you know, at this point of like all the blood spatters and like some of them were very purposely, very campy, like, ridiculously yes. done throat cuts and stuff. Well, and that is a credit both to, to Tim Burton for how he filmed it and a credit to Sondheim for how he writes it. But the fact that um, the montage of victims being, uh, having their throat slit in the chair happens during the Joanna reprise, yeah. which is such a beautiful, oh, tranquil see. song while all this carnage is going on is amazing yeah it's like, like the position is hilarious this melodic uh, uh basically this melodic you know like love declaration song between like a young man and this <laughs> this this you know damsel in distress is happening while he's just yeah. like like you know like yeah. killing people yeah and a father pining for a daughter he he knows he won't ever be able to reconnect with as he's, as stabbing he's just people. slaughtering people <laughs> Is, is no, yeah, I do think Tim Burton nailed it on the head with that one. Like, if nothing else, that was like the best part of the movie was the um, the Joanna reprise where he just he got the whole the, the the total dark humor of that entire montage down perfectly. Definitely, and Tim Burton has had some stumbling blocks, but I think Sweeney Todd is one of his strongest. Yeah, um, and definitely when when it came out in 2007, it was um, kind of a reminder that he could make really solid movies. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it, Johnny Depp got nominated for best actor. He sure did. This. He sure did. Oh. I want to say Helena Bonham Carter was nominated for best supporting, but she may have been snubbed. Oh, can't remember. Um, but she was great. Uh, so, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, of course, Miss Mel and I were able to see the current off-Broadway production. We talked about um, that it's immersive, that it's in this uh, relatively tiny black box theater. Um, Tom uh, Sesma was playing Sweeney Todd, and uh, Sally Ann Triplett was uh, playing Mrs. Nellie Lovett. Um, it was a really interesting production. Mm-hmm. Um, and really fascinating given the immersive nature. Miss Mel and I got spit on at one point. <laughs> well, uh, and there was this guy who sat across from us on the table who clearly did not, was not ready for certain parts of the show. Like, I don't know how familiar yeah. he was, um, but at one point oh. during Epiphany, you know it's coming if you know the song, like the, the basically the Broadway version of a bass drop when, you know, like the music kicks up. But this guy was not ready for it, and Sweeney lunged into his face and held like the razor to the neck. And it was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> he was so lucky, and he had a, the perfect reaction, though. He did. Um, and it was, it was, it was great. Now, another gentleman at our table. 
every weekend or something but he was like talking to the staff um he asked like the uh, the pie servers beforehand if so and so was was here tonight and these poor people uh, people so miss mill and i were kind of sitting in the middle of the table and there was a couple uh there were couples on either side of us and a couple across from us and this gentleman at the very end. And this guy just ensnared this poor couple next to us in conversation and just looking at their faces, we could tell that they were not interested or <laughs> yeah. just did not care what he had to say. And so we were actively trying to talk to the people at the other end of the table. Yes. <laughs> We did not want to get drawn into their their plight. No, not at all. But um, very good, very good, very interesting production. Um, our Sweeney um, played it in a way that is was also very different from Johnny Depp, but also very different from Len Carew and mm-hmm. George Hearn. Um. I feel like his was like almost militant. His performance. yeah, it was a very um, disciplined kind of like he was very. That's what it was like. He was very controlled until he wasn't. Like the parts where he was yeah. uncontrolled were like obviously, you know, like. But it would be these bursts of something, and then it would be like very very strictured like you know you very much felt like this guy like you know like had you like you were in within his 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 power right like you know like you he controlled the room and he was aware that he controlled the room like and he just very much had a presence of control let go to a certain point but very controlling um it's that kind of thing where he not only had a presence but he knew how to like control that presence yeah, and, and work it for his performance, um, which was really cool to see. And then our Mrs. Lovett, I feel like, um, I think I felt like she was pulling both from Angela Lansbury and Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. And like, like mixing them together Yeah, to come up with um, her own interpretation of the character. Cause she, she had that manic, sort of presence that Angela Lansbury brought to the role, but there were moments where, where she would pull back, particularly with in her scenes with Toby, yeah. where she a bit more subdued. Um, but she was great. Yeah. I thought that uh, the actor who... Let me just quickly look at the playbook. Uh, Zachariah Noah Pizer, who played Toby... Mm-hmm. I thought he was the scene stealer. He was very good. Yeah, no, he he very much had like a very and like a very you wanted to trust him, you wanted to root for him, you were scared of him at the end. Like he had like his yeah. last bit where he finds the razor and picks it up and goes over to Sweeney and you know slits his throat was so good. Like it was this this very all he does is like he doesn't really speak really. He just picks up the razor and goes razor, you know, because he's like lost his mind mind from what he's seen yeah at this point he picks up the razor and he just kind of like it's all physical acting as he walks over and just uh sweeney and it was just he was so good he was great he had a very strong voice too 
He did. He did. You know, and it was really interesting just because of the demands of the production and the space, like how they were able to use everything and do everything and communicate elements of the story and how everybody aside from Sweeney and Mrs. Lovett um, sort of took on ensemble roles as well as their assigned characters. And it was really a good time. Um, And the pies were good. The pies were excellent. Um, (laughs) That was like a pretty, pretty well-renowned chef, I believe. Yeah. um, I don't have the chef's name on hand. That guy knew him. Yeah, I remember reading that um, the chef who makes the pies for every performance used to be the pastry chef at the White House. Yeah, so. so we ate like presidents. Yeah. And so I think that is kind of um, our overview of Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Do you have anything else you're dying to add for our listeners as well? No, I don't. Um, it's basically the pinnacle of horror theater. I feel like you don't get yeah. much better than Sweeney Todd. Um, I did see a a straight play version of Dracula once that was pretty creepy at certain points. Um, but this is definitely like the if you want to see like a a it bills itself literally as a musical thriller. Like that's part of its title. Um, yeah. So it's the demon, it's Sweeney Todd, the demon Barbara Fleet Street, a musical thriller is its full I mean, name. <laughs> so if you want, you know, the convergence of horror and musicals, which might be a very small group outside of Mr. Craggers and I, <laughs> this is where you Listen, go. the next time the Evil Dead musical comes around, we're going. Yes. So, yeah. All right. But yeah. yeah, and if you happen to find yourself in New York before the end of August. Go see it. Go see it. I can. I have some pictures that I took of the theater when we were still allowed to take pictures, so I can tweet those out too, so you can get a sense of. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I took a panoramic of the theater, so you could, so people could understand where I was, what I was in. Yeah. Uh, so. That's a great idea, and if maybe you've already seen it, or maybe you love the movie, or maybe you saw a different production of it. Or maybe none of those things, but you still want to talk to us. We would love that, too. Mm. There's lots of ways in which you can do that. Yes, and I will uh, tell you them right now. Thank they you. They are. You can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can tweet us at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels. If that is too difficult for you, just search splatterchatter666, and we will be the first thing that pops up. You can find us on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. You can find us on Instagram at splatterchatter666. There you uh, you can read Craig's blog at splatterchatter666.blogspot.com. And Scruggers will tell you about our Patreon. Excellent. So, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com splatterchatter666. On the Patreon, you'll find a whole overview of the podcast, our mission, what we want to do with the podcast uh, going forward. Miss um, Mel and I's uh, relationships with horror and what drove us to create the show and why we would love it if you um, would become a patron and uh, commit monthly donations to our show. Now, if you are interested in doing so, there's uh, several different levels at which you can do that. Uh, one, five or ten dollar commitments a month. You, that would be a Jason, a Freddie or a Michael. And there's all sorts of perks that you would get, of course, for your lovely donations including a newsletter 
um, a horror Q&A, or potentially even being a show programmer, which would let you pick the topic of an entire episode that Miss Mel and I um, will cover for you. Mm. Now, if you're not in a position where you can financially uh, donate, that's totally fine. Um, you can still show your love for the show by giving us a rating and a review on iTunes. Um, ratings and particularly reviews are how uh, iTunes keeps us in the charts, keeps us popping up when people are looking for horror podcasts. So we would love it if you would take a couple minutes to do that. Yeah. Now, this is going to wrap up episode 49, which means that when we next meet with you guys, it's going to be episode 50, which is insane. Ooh. I feel like we just started this. Um, but we're already at 50, which is a really cool milestone. Um, it's also actually going to coincide with the two-year anniversary of the show. So we're going to have a really special episode for you guys. It's going to be yeah. jam-packed with, um, of course... Miss Mel and I rambling. Yes. <laughs> but rambling about a very interesting topic, we think. And uh, I think we'll keep that as a surprise. Yes. For now. Miss Mel, do you have anything else to add tonight? I do not. All right. Well, in that case, guys, we will see you again for episode 50. Ooh. And until then, be sure to keep up the creep. And for now, we're going to say... Au revoir. Adios.